Hello, and welcome once again to episode 16 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name once again is Dimitri, and I'll be your host for this episode, and I'm joined today by my fellow completionists, Ben. Hey, hey. And Fernando. Hello, hello. So it's been a while, both of you. Uh, Fernando, how do you like your mini? I... Maybe which mini? Love it. We, we should preface it with which mini. Oh, since... oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so there's been so many the mini iPhone updates. Mini. My, yeah, <laughs> the only mini I have currently in my possession is my iPhone mini. Uh, it's an ocean blue, navy blue. I don't know the, the exact blue. name. Th- or, Pacific blue. Or is that the pro? I don't know. I think that's it's, the pro. Yeah. Yeah, it's the blue. It's the blue. And the blue one. <laughs> uh John Gruber, as always, like he just describes everything that I have in my mind in his articles. And he said that the Mini is like the phone we probably could have gotten if we didn't go to the plus size mm. uh, eventually, like, right? Like we if we be... never went down that direction? Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. And, and I think that that just hits the nail right on the head. Like this is a super nice phone that's small by today's standards uh and it's just so so nice to use it really really reminds me of the iphone 4 like the first time you go from non-retina to retina it's like unbelievable and this phone it's like i don't know what it is uh but the it's just amazing it's just such a good phone i love it but i will say and and dimitri and, and i briefly spoke about this um, I want more, or rather, instead of more, I want less. <laughs> uh, something that's never, I don't think this, like, the SE, when we had our, our episode about the uh, the possibilities of, like, the smaller phones, I, I, we sort of agreed that it may happen, it was sort of a long shot, but it may happen that they launch an iPhone like the Mini. Um, but I don't think this is ever happening, but I would love a Mini uh s- in the original iPhone size. So a mini I mini. An iPhone love. nano. Yes. A, a nano. Yes. A shuffle, if you will. No. <laughs> no, not a shuffle. We want a you screen. You want a screen. Yeah, we want a screen. <laughs> yeah. And buttons of uh, some kind. Yeah, so that's that's where I'm at. This is the best phone I've had uh, bar none. It's unbelievable, unbelievably good. I would love it if it were smaller, but still, it's such a nitpick. Nice. It's so it... nice being able to hold your phone like this again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One hand again. and just <laughs> use that index finger. <laughs> yep. Awesome. So that's where I'm at, yeah. Uh, what about you guys? Uh, Dimitri, you have a mini too, right? Yeah, so... Or two I, minis, I, I, should I say? I got three minis. I got the, the iPhone mini, which is like, thankfully, we have a small phone again. Uh, I wish it had like the, the, the big boy cameras as the bigger phones have. Uh, but I am totally okay with this. Um, and I also got a Mac mini, which is blazing fast. Uh, and we also got a HomePod mini, which sounds relatively good for listening to podcasts. I don't really listen to music, so I can't, I can't speak in that regard. Uh, but it was mostly so that way we can have, uh, turn the lights on in the bathroom, you know, actual reasons to uh, shell out a hundred dollars for a home pod um and it works excellently for that we are able to hear uh the hear the home pod perfectly fine over the noise of shower which is like the only use that we kind of had for it uh and that is kind of perfect so nice uh, i am so happy with all the minis that i have received and you have already a, a regular home pod right the the full size one mm-hmm. so have you tried the intercom feature at all is it, does that work so the intercom feature works with just the regular home home pods mm-hmm. and we already have like one in every main room okay. that we have okay um so the, with the mini it just kind of adds to that right um i think there was that special intercom feature where it like knows where you are at mm-hmm. and i didn't get a chance to try that i don't okay. even know how it works hmm. nice do you find so yourself like then I... actually using that though like do you think you'd like Instead of instead of yelling across the house at your wife, you think you would actually like use the intercom feature to speak to her from a different room, or does it seem more gimmicky than than useful? So we actually use the intercom feature quite a lot. Um, 
because it's it's as you said more practical than yelling across we would use the right. walkie-talkie app on the watch right. previous to that yeah uh to kind of uh get it across because n- no one's happy when everyone's just yelling and not hearing <laughs> right because right. even yelling is not loud enough kind of thing right i was going to ask you about that how, do, how does the intercom feature compare to walkie-talkie it's better quality, like way better quality, because it's not coming out of your little watch speaker. And it works, um, <clears throat> right? Since the intercom, but since in the like, walkie-talkie yeah. feature kind of like, mysteriously yeah. stopped working. Yeah, that's what I was going to uh, say. Like, is it useful? Yeah, I would say it's useful. The only thing is, you need to know like where the person is. Otherwise, mm. it'll just kind of blast on every HomePod in the house, uh, and ever so slightly <laughs> delayed. It's not like all at once. Oh, interesting. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a it's a little bit trippy uh, just to ha- hear your own voice coming out of like every corner of the house. Uh, when you mess that up and i'm not too sure how to get like intercom working to specific devices yet like mm. to her phone or anything like that mm-hmm. so it's it's still worth uh kind of um uh exploring a bit to see how best that works nice so ben i hear you also got a, a new toy yes it is not as many as some of those many things but it is it is many to me uh because um i <laughs> I've had uh, mostly MacBook Pros um, in my sort of computing life as a, as a Mac user, um, and mostly the the larger ones, mostly the 15 inch ones. I, I didn't I didn't get the 16 inch, the most recent iteration, but um, I've had you know mostly fairly fairly large, fairly heavy um, laptops in the past, and I've always been a little envious, a little jealous of people who get to use the MacBook Air because it just seemed impossibly thin and and impossibly light and uh just really cool and in particular when they went to retina and i think 2018 i want to say um it was just like there's just very little excuse to not get a macbook air except that i use applications that tend to be fairly fairly hefty um things like xcode and i've done research and tried to you know look at reddit posts and stuff like that to see um you know, is it possible to even do that kind of work on a MacBook Air? And people are like, eh, maybe, maybe not. Just it's always been a little bit kind of on the fence. So uh, I haven't gotten one because it was just like, well, it probably from a performance perspective would just be not good enough. Um, and so earlier this year, I traded my MacBook Pro in for an iMac, a uh, 5K iMac, as sort of my pr- primary uh, nice. computing device, which I love. It's awesome. I'm recording on it right now. Um, and, uh, it's great. But once I did that, I realized that the, this laptop form factor is definitely something that is, is useful in certain situations. And so I thought, well, yeah. you know, I'd like to maybe get sort of a, you know, people call it like a couch computer or something that you can kind of carry around, um, with you, uh, to do stuff. And so I, um, I actually traded, I actually sold my iPad to my dad, um, uh, cause I wasn't using it a ton. And I was like, let's let's get rid of that and save save those pennies for for maybe this mythical future Apple Silicon MacBook, right? Um, and maybe just maybe, if it's powerful enough, I could get away with a MacBook Air rather than a Pro, um, and then I get mm. to finally get uh, the the MacBook Air that I've always kind of wanted. So that's a very long winded story to say that yes, I got a MacBook <laughs> Air, the the new M1 powered MacBook Air. Um, and first impressions are that it is just as light and thin and sort of wonderful as like a little laptop as I thought it would be kind of just the, the form factor overall. Um, and then so far I am much like everybody else, uh, that has played with these so far kind of blown away at how, uh, fast and quiet and cold the computer is that the, one of the best parts is that it doesn't get, you know, just sort of disgustingly hot in your lap when you're using it. Um, it has no fan and it, and it generally runs, uh, very, very cool. Um, and so far I got it, what today's what Thursday, I got it on Monday. Um, and I have not, I did not charge it when it, I pulled it out of the box. I just took whatever battery it had, which I think it was around, I don't know, like 80 ish percent. Um, when I pulled it out of the box and I still have not charged it on uh, it's Thursday night. So I haven't used it a ton, but but still, that's kind of insane considering that normally a regular computer, I would have charged it three or four times by now. Um, so, and it still has, I think, like 50% battery left. Um, so it's just the battery is in, uh, amazing. The performance is, is fantastic. I haven't had any issues. I kind of realized uh, when I started to set it up for, for work stuff that I was like, oh, well, Slack and Microsoft Teams and some other things that may not play nice 
on the uh, on you know the, the Apple Silicon on the ARM uh, architecture, but Rosetta is just kind of kicking in and, and working where it needs to, um, and it's it's I don't really have anything other to say than what people have already said, which is it it really is as amazing a PC um, as it claims to be, um, and and it is also arguably sort of the worst. Of the of the silicon Apple silicon MacBook of, of computers they're probably ever going to release because it's the first chip and it's it's in the sort of the thinnest uh, you know and smallest form factor therefore having the the smallest thermal envelope so you know there's just not as much um, uh, wiggle room there right to, to to drive that chip super hard and yet even still with all of those caveats it is it is just blowing the doors off of everything that's come before it um, and so. It is both great. I really, really like it as a computer, and I'm going to be happy with it as a secondary computer for a decent while. But then also, it's really exciting uh, to think like, well, if this is their first go at this, what are they going to do next? Like, what you know, how could kind of like how could they top this? Obviously, they can, but but it just shows you, um, you know, if they were to stick this thing into an iMac form factor, they could probably run this thing at just, you know just these crazy speeds uh, and and literally not even blow everybody else out of the water, but I mean, you're playing on a whole different level. Like you're, you're starting to lap the competition kind of like they've done with their, their A series chips and the iPhones right there. They're not even really yep. competitive because it's like, I've been around the track three or four times in the time it takes you to lap, you know, to go on the track once. It's just, it's kind of, it's kind of laughable how, <laughs> how much better these things are than everybody else's. Yeah, it's quite amazing how much performance they were able to really eke out of these of these new processors, and they're sh- just showing it off at this yeah. point. It's like, oh, this is in a battery-bound device that has no fan, by the way. Right. Uh, and uh, <laughs> like, depending on what you're doing, it will outclass our Mac Pro. Right. Uh, that's yeah. like fully spec'd out. Um, yeah. Which is a kind of bit ridiculous. Like, I know you said you kind of wanted this as your secondary computer. Right. It may become your primary because it's just going to compile things so much more, so much faster than right. your yeah. iMac yeah. Uh, for certain tasks. And that the instant on um, is so cool. Like you, I mean, I, I'm I'm opening the lid, and before I even get the lid all the way open, it's already awake. It's already ready for Touch ID, and then Touch ID is you know is responding instantly. I mean, it's just like an iOS device in the, in that way. It is mm-hmm. there is there is no delay at all. And and for people who have used you know Mac laptops in, in the last several years, it can be particularly because of all the like weird stuff they do when the when the computer wakes up. It can be a couple of seconds before the thing is sort of fully ready to accept your password or to accept your fingerprint yep. or whatever. So the fact that this thing is just it just snaps to life immediately. Um, you know, it's a small thing, but it's it's cool. It's really really cool. Mm-hmm. I heard from Stephen Trotton Smith, I think mm-hmm. uh, that. Uh, the monitor, mm-hmm. like if you have an external monitor and you plug it in, it just instantly comes on. There's no flickering. There's no right. like, let's uh, let's wind this one down and bring it back up to like right. think about where we want to place Windows. Have you given that a try yet? I haven't with an external. I haven't plugged it in yet, but I I just found I was listening to ATP actually a little earlier today, external tech podcast, and they suggested that you try changing the display resolution um, because that also is this thing where normally that would, it would flicker, it would kind of fade to black, it, you know, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. It's just an instant snap, right. From one resolution to the other. So I'm, I'm keen to try that when, when the, when we finish recording here to see what that looks like. Cause it's supposedly it's, it's magical, uh, how, how fast that is, which it's silly. Those are silly <laughs> things to be excited about, but Nerd magic. right. But like, it's, it's so cool. Uh, it, it, what I think makes us all so excited about this is, is these things all by themselves are, are, you know, interesting, but not ultimately that that spectacular. But what it is, it's showing you the possibility, right? Like it's showing you the the possibility of what we all could build with these tools um, and the experience that we could have, and the experience that we could have from Apple improving on this process. I mean, they've already, you know, they've already lapped the competition, but they they're just going to keep they're just going to keep increasing that lead uh, the further they go, and it's just it's kind of it's pretty cool to see. We were in this sort of these doldrums for a couple of years, with particularly with Apple laptops, right, where the keyboards were not great, and 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 then Intel has just been—I don't know what they're doing—but they're not innovating like they were, having serious troubles. And so we were getting, you know, maybe a tiny little increase here and there when Apple would get around to 
to putting a new chip in. And they often wouldn't because they're like, why bother, right? This chip isn't really any better than the one that we already have. Um, and so it's cool to kind of be in a position again where where we know how cool this is and we and we also can see, you know, the next year or two or three, we can kind of envision a roadmap that is that is going to have serious innovation baked right in, which is just super cool. I think uh, I think there's there's two really really interesting things uh, here uh, to sidetrack a little bit. Uh, I have a little bit of Apple stock saved, and like a year or two ago, I constantly like invest in that. Besides mm -hmm. my retirement, it's just like an alternate retirement, right? Yeah, <laughs> my early retirement, hopefully. <laughs> uh, yeah. But a couple of years, uh, like probably around 2018, I started worrying because that's when you started really seeing the trend of iPhones slow down. Mm -hmm. There's still, like Apple is still printing money with the iPhones. Mm -hmm. They're still doing it every single quarter, but the growth dramatically slowed down because right. they, like, it's just natural, right? Yeah. You've saturated the market because you're the best product um, in the market. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting about this, and I, I kept thinking about it this week, is that the Mac is the opposite of the iPhone. Like, for years, we thought the Mac was behind. They didn't care about it. Right. And there, even though you started seeing a lot more people with their Macs, mm -hmm. there's still a very, very tiny percentage mm -hmm. of the whole PC market. Yeah. And now, like, they can... They can bring these, like the mini, sorry, I, I didn't mean to say that, the Air. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, the Air, which in my mind is kind of like a, a mini in a non-trademarkable kind of way, like you said, like a small laptop. Uh -huh, like, yeah. that's, that's unbelievable because I don't know if Apple will do this, but they've, they've already done it with the iPhones. But what if like this first generation M1 next year goes down to like $700? And the next year, it goes to 500. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if they're going to be doing that. But if they do, like, what what can the other competitors do? HP, mm -hmm. Toshiba, like the really heavy hitters. What can you do? Like, you're, like like you said, you're 20 years behind. I mean, You don't have the technology to do anything right. about it. Unless they want to spin up their own fab and start making their own chips. I don't think that they have much in the way of competition, right? I mean... Yeah, no... Right. So, I mean, you, you, I don't think you can do that, can you? Like, I think HP tried a little bit. Yeah. But they're like, they're not... Apple was in a do-or-die situation right. in the 2000s, and that really propelled them for, like, the next decade. Yeah. And I don't think any other company is there with that kind of grit needed right. to do the whole, all right, we're going to suck it up and do this from the ground right. up. Right. And you bring up a really it's, good point about the MacBooks. Like, you could... You could do what they've been doing with the iPhones, where next year when they bring out the M2 MacBook Air, they could keep the MacBook, the M1 MacBook Air around, and suddenly it's the cheap MacBook Air, right? Like you, like you have a 999 version, and then you have the M1 MacBook Air, which is still amazing, uh, for 699, right? And then you start to do what they did with the, you know, the old iPhone becomes the one that yep. that was the good iPhone has become like the cheap iPhone, and then there's the new iPhone, which is sort of better. Um, you could do that with the. I, I don't think they could get away with doing that in sort of an Intel world because people would be like, "I'm not buying that; it's just old. I gotta want it." But but when but when you're lapping the competition, even your old stuff is still like for yeah. the most part better than way faster, right? Than lots of yeah. things. So you could start to have like this 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 tier uh, these tiers of pricing of the computers in a way that the, similar to the iPhone. Um, and then suddenly you start to, you know, truly that whole like cheap Mac that everyone always has said they want. I don't know if that would actually really, really sell. But because I feel like people who are truly price conscious are not going to necessarily uh, go for stuff like that. But but maybe they would. Right. I don't know. I'm not a I'm not an economist or whatever. Um, but like you have <laughs> you have like the tiers and you have all and it starts to like it starts to you start to really attack all the sort of pricing categories. Right. And then. It's like, wh what reason do you have to not get a Mac? Like, there's, <laughs> there's so many exactly, options, exactly. right? Exactly. And like, mm -hmm. like Jobs already said a few years ago. Uh, well, not a few years ago. <laughs> it's been a while. It's um, at least a, at said, least nine. At least nine. Yeah. He said, if someone's gonna cannibalize us, let that be us. Yeah. Right. right. We want to cannibalize ourselves. Right. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that just don't like or want an iPad. Right. Like, hello. <laughs> like, but 
but I do want a couch computer. Right. Like, and if I could get like a really cheap Mac, like a really good Mac for like $500, yeah. like a laptop, 12 inch M1, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, once we're at, at the M3 stage, right. I would do it in a heartbeat. Yeah. So I would buy, buy one for my parents. Right. Like, no kidding. I would do it like, like that. Yeah. So it's like, uh, going back to the stock thing, I think this opens up a world of possibilities where mm -hmm. the weakness of the Mac now becomes its strength. Yeah. Like now you can grow out of that position. Yeah. So it's like this is unbelievable in so many aspects that I like it's history in the making for sure. Yeah. How does your. Yeah, well, you can definitely. Oh, go ahead. You can definitely see um, like different tiers coming through, especially if you consider, oh, the eight gigabyte 256 uh, SSD model can be that lower tier. Mm -hmm. That's an yep. M1 that costs $150, $200 less. And then you can go ahead and jump to the M2 if you want to upgrade those other components as well. Mm -hmm. um, that can definitely make a lot of sense now that there aren't very many configurable components yeah. uh, that are available. So uh, you get extra power with your memory upgrade, for instance. Right. How does your, your new Mini, that because you, you got the M1 Mini, right, Dimitri? How does that compare with mm -hmm. sort of the Minis that you used before? And you, I'm guessing, because I think you have the DDK, right, but, which you probably can't compare, but I, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but basically, <laughs> like, let's just say this. The Mini that you got, the M1 Mini, how does it compare to the other Minis that you've used before? And we'll just put, you know, include all, include all <laughs> just generalize your experience, I guess. Things in mini like enclosures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, one thing that I noticed uh, is that I think the box was larger. And I'm not sure. I, I didn't actually compare this, but I have opened many mini boxes mm -hmm. uh, in the past. So like I had a visual reference in, in my mind's eye, if you will. Uh, so I think the box was larger, but the mini itself was the same size. I had some to compare it to. Um it's a downside that it doesn't come with like 10 gig Ethernet uh, and more Thunderbolt ports. And I think the fact that the new Mini is only in silver kind of leads up to a space gray model coming eventually uh, that will have those expanded uh, that expanded feature set. And I'm hoping for April, like they said. Um, so uh, that said. Uh, just running some uh, quick benchmarks in terms of video encode, I got great results out of it. Um, it's mostly in terms of uh, being able to encode H.265s and 10-bit. Mm -hmm. That's where I saw like a huge amount of speed. Now, as far as using it, like booting up, it was very fast. Booting up from like cold, mm -hmm. way faster than what I'm typically used to. Um, but it kind of leads into an interesting side story of the Mac is its software side uh, because I am not using it with a monitor or mouse or keyboard. I'm using a headless mm. and it's already disappeared from uh, like the local network. Uh, and I would I had to like remove it from where I put it and connect the monitor to it to kind of like see what was going on. Mm. Um, and like that's the only downside. Yeah. It's we have such powerful computers now that are kind of hamstrung by Mac OS in a way. Right. <laughs> uh and prevented from from being uh truly useful in so many different situations just because Mac OS has its own little issues. Right. Uh like kind of going into our our next topic that we were going to talk about when Big Sur launched, uh it caused such a huge amount of traffic on Apple servers that it also brought down their uh, their certificate verification servers, which had a side effect of making it impossible to launch Mac apps if you were uh, running on, um, if you if you had your computer connected to the internet. Uh, so like, there's all sorts of these like software limitations that kind of hold back yeah. Apple's own system, which is super super unfortunate uh, because they are hitting it out of the park with their hardware, right. um, and they have been for at least a decade. Yeah. Like it used to be that you never bought the first Apple product of a certain like new generation, and that was the iron rule amongst Mac users. You never buy the first product. There was always issues with it. We've been so conditioned with the iPhone generation that like yeah. the brand new iPhone comes out, it's probably rock solid. Right. Um. And like yes, there are issues, but at the volume that iPhones are freaking selling at, yeah. it's not an issue. 
Um, and people said so, that about this. They said, you know, people were like, mm, I don't know. First Apple Silicon Macs, I'm probably not going to get one. It's, you know, it's going to need some ironing out, whatever. And I had those, I had thoughts like that, like, well, I don't know. And then, uh, you know, the first kind of reviews started to come out that it was like, it's blatantly fast and it's super solid and Big Sur runs great, which, you know, for all of the issues with, with things like Mac OS, it's pretty amazing that they got Big Sur to run as cleanly as it seems to be running on my Intel iMac as it is running on this brand new, you know, never before seen M1 MacBook Air. Um, and it's the same OS. Pretty cool that, that, that it works as well as it does, considering it has to run on those two vastly different architectures. It's mm-hmm. it's a feat of engineering, yeah. for sure. And I just want to, uh, I don't know if you said this, Dimitri, but I just want to clarify that the servers didn't go down. Uh, no, <laughs> they're just it inaccessible. Was, it was such a weird a edge case. Extent. Like I bet you none of us would have mm-hmm. caught that if we had work, been working on that team. Yeah, You'd be like the connection could be made, but a response was never heard. Right, that kind of situation. <laughs> right, but no, I, I I disagree with you, Ben. Like that's just a simple timeout. It's yeah. somebody's application launching. Like you would think about this. Well, right, but what I, what I'm saying is like I think it would it wouldn't have been un. Um, it, it, I think it would have been potentially fairly normal for us to think like, well, we're going to do this check, assuming that we can get to the Apple's, we can get to Apple's servers. They're going to give us some kind of response. Like, I feel like, I feel like the hubris basically of of assuming mm-hmm. that Apple's infrastructure is strong enough that it could withstand all kinds of things. And it's like, well, if I can get on the internet and I can and I can get to the server, it's going to give me an answer, right? Like that's. It's Apple servers. Like we're, you know, we're a two trillion dollar company. We can, I, so I feel like that the hubris was basically assuming that that was going to be always true, um, and I don't think that's unreasonable to assume. Uh, the downside, of course, is that no, it can happen. It can be where you're on the internet, you can talk to the server, but the server is just, you know, completely overwhelmed and can't respond, and so you need to have a way to sort of because they did say that if you if you try to launch if you opened your Mac up and let's say you didn't have any network connectivity the little checks that occur, it skips them because it says, oh, well, I can't talk to the internet, so I'm not going to even try, right? So it it did have sophistication in that way. It just didn't, they were like, well, clearly, you know, it's it's it it sounds very NASA to me where it's like, obviously this isn't going to fail. Like, it's going to be fine. (laughs) Well, what what if it does? You're not NASA. (laughs) Yeah, what if it does, right? One situation where a lot of Apple services kind of fall flat in this regard is running on like enterprise networks where everything is kind of blocked, but not really blocked. Uh, and that's where a lot of these services just like start failing. Your time starts getting out of sync. Uh, like iCloud just has no idea what's going on. Um, and I don't think Apple has tested things very well in those kinds of sh- situations because it is so poor to use Mac uh, like software and Mac OS in those situations. Uh, it really is kind of like the nightmare scenario for most uh, developers, but like it needs to work, and sometimes it just it flat out doesn't. Now we should specify why on earth uh, Apple was checking on uh, whether an app should run or not, um, and it was basically to enforce security. So that way Apple can go ahead and say, uh, "Hey, the app that you're about to launch, uh, well, its signature uh, is valid and is something that is not something uh, that has been turned into something malicious." Uh, so therefore, you're not going to harm your computer by running this. And that's like such an important thing that we've just come to accept uh, as far as uh, like using our Macs, that we're not going to get a virus or have something bad happen just by running software. Um, but Apple has had to keep up with that industry for that to stay true. Like if you have a much older Mac, it is much more vulnerable in all sorts of different ways to uh, just downloading the wrong piece of software and double clicking it and having it run. Um, yes, it might not be able to uh, do certain things that could have happened in the past, uh, but it can still start encrypting all your files and uh, leaving you kind of in a rut as to uh, what you can do in that situation. So I don't think Apple is doing anything nefarious uh, with these signature checks, and I think it's a good thing that they are happening. Uh, and, and like, of course, as soon as this hit, there were the conspiracy theories that kind of blew out of control. Uh, that Apple's tracking everything and they want to see which apps they should be competing against and all that. <laughs> it's like Apple has enough problems. They don't care about what apps you're running uh, for the most part. Um, so like it's something that needed to be done. And 
it's unfortunate that it was done and implemented in such a way that could like crash so spectacularly yeah. on a launch day for <laughs> yeah. their new OS. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's, it's good to see that they were like responded over the weekend, which they generally never do. Uh, and said, okay, we acknowledge that this was a big screw up and we have this procedure in place that we are going to go ahead and make things better. Right. Can you disable the check? I believe you can, or they're going to add a way to uh, in the UI to disable the check. Yeah, I think that one of the things they said in the that sort of press release that they they put out was that um, they're going to do a couple things. One of which being they're going to make it an optional thing that you can disable. I'm guessing like in system preferences or or in, in some way you'll be able to turn the check off so that if you if you don't want it to be performed, it just won't do it. That makes sense. Because the issue, I like you mentioned conspiracy theories, and I agree. Like, they're out, out there; yeah. <laughs> they're way out there. Yeah. Uh, but and but they're not totally unfounded is, because, like, there are companies that do do those things that are that nefarious, right? So it's not totally crazy agreed. to think that that it could be happening. Um, but I do think that, I mean. At the end of the day, we kind of have to trust Apple, right? Because this code is, yeah. is proprietary. But I feel like they have they have earned a a decent amount of trust, not complete Agreed. trust, but a decent amount. But yeah, no, I agree. I agree completely. the The point I was going to make is that I trust Apple right now, uh, but I don't know if I'll be trusting Apple in the future. Yeah, and if we let them like just get away with doing this check for privacy's sake. I don't know if we're going to suffer, like, what if Tim Cook gets hit by a bus, someone else uh, is the new CEO, and they're like, yeah, let's do this. Like, we already have all this data. Why mm-hmm. are we not collecting it? Like, yeah, we're only trusting them uh, because they haven't done anything nefar- nefarious in the past. But I don't know. I'm a little bit iffy about it. Well, so having... Yeah, all having, it takes is... Go ahead. Go for it. Having having the check right, or having the like the disableable button, I I do. I mean, assuming that it actually works, right? Again, some a lot of this we have to sort of take on faith, but assuming that it really yeah. does work, which you could yeah. check by having a, a you know setting up a proxy and turning it off and then seeing mm-hmm. if it still sends the request and stuff like that. So so there are ways that you can kind of verify that having the check in there to turn it off. I do feel like kind of. Um, you know, mitigates a little bit of what you're talking about there, Fernando, where, yeah. where like, yep. even if we were like, I don't think I trust you anymore, you can just turn that off. And then, and then at least that part of it is not, uh, not a concern. Yeah. Um, and like many people have said this before, but all it takes is like the wrong people in charge yeah. for the benevolent dictator to ruin the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we are very much fortunate that, uh, Apple is being run by people who at least care about these things. And that's yeah. not going to be true forever. Right. That is going to eventually change. And Apple is probably going to be so content with its pile of money that it stops uh, innovating in these ways. And at that point, hopefully something else comes up. Uh, but until then, Apple is kind of one of the only companies that does care uh, in the ways that we care about right. um, with regard to privacy and things like that. So it's kind of all we got. Um, which is kind of unfortunate, but um, it's it's going to be very interesting to see if anyone can catch up. But I guess they they will be eventually. I mean, Apple caught up, right? They they surpassed Qualcomm, which was the master mm-hmm. of mobiles chips. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've surpassed Intel, which was the master of desktop chips. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's only time will tell if uh, like how soon they're going to surpass all the server end chips. And it's not like Apple's going to build another XServe and they're just going to squander all this power for little MacBook Airs and run circles around everyone. Uh, and that's 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 fine. Uh, it's unfortunate, uh, but it's fine. <laughs> well, it's not squandering if that's what you want, right? I, I finally have the yeah, computer that I've wanted, right? Which is a MacBook Air that's powerful enough to, to do what I need to do. Yeah, but it's not like you're going to plug in your MacBook Air to be your home server. No, right? uh, true. <laughs> You never know. <laughs> no, I, I buy a mini for that, right? It has been done. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that leads into our last uh, topic for the week. Uh, Fernando, I hear you've been working on something new. Do you mind sharing? Yeah, uh, I would love to share with you guys. Uh, so I've been working on this for, for a little while. Um, as you guys know, uh, I wrote a book. Uh, it's a little bit about how... Uh, how to code, not 
what to code or what frameworks to use, but how do you code, right? How to think uh, things mm -hmm. through, how to uh, consider like tabs versus space. No, I'm kidding. But like in general, the form of the code tells you a lot so that's, that, that's that half you the don't book, learn. Right? Tabs yeah, exactly. Spaces. It's 300 pages of just that. <laughs> it's a lengthy discussion, but it's worth it. Uh, uh, but yeah, so the more I thought about it is... Um, the 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 where I was getting at is that I feel there's like a huge surface area when it comes to being a developer, right? And the really important part is the actual technical aspect of it, right? The 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 fact that you get to understand the frameworks, that you understand how to code, how to think, how to solve issues, things like that. And I think there's a lot of uh, people out there who do a great job teaching that. Uh, uh, hacking with Swift, Swift by Sundell, uh, Ray Winder. Like, there's a ton of amazing high-quality resources for you to learn that aspect of being a developer. But there's other aspects all around the coding part that I feel are unattended. Like, for instance, uh, code reviews, learning how to interview. Uh, learning how to interact with your coworkers as a developer, how to interact with testers, things that you only learn once you go into a team and then you're like, okay, I'm ready to code. And then someone's like, oh, but like your code sucks in a code review. And people are like, well, I've gotten a few messages. Like, how do I get over mean comments in my code <laughs> reviews? And I'm like, that's hard. It's it's genuinely hard. It's sometimes harder than tech because you go into a tutorial, you finish the tutorial, you learn to do the thing, you want to do the thing, and then somebody else tells, else tells you, no, that's not how you do the thing. And you're like, but but this is what I... So uh, without making it much longer, like uh, without ranting too much, what I've done is I've created a small take-home test um, that takes into account uh, some of the basics, basically net networking, generics, unit tests. And what I've done is I've packed that up. I have a video where I go through the solution uh, and I, I explain what I would check if I were interviewing uh, other people with that take-home test. And I did another video with a, a student that went through the test and we go on a one-on-one -on -one explaining like, well, this is a common pitfall. You shouldn't be doing this. Or why are you doing this? Well, like I had on, on one of my test runs, I had one of my students uh, uh, go through the one one and then I asked him, well, why are you calling dispatch queue main here to update the UI? And he was like, well, because we always do that. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> that's, that's the kind of thing that I'm trying to capture because... Of course, you know the answer and you can read it in like any of those amazing blogs, but it's not until someone else with more experience tells you, hey, do you know why? Yeah. Not just, just don't do it like a robot. Tell me why that, it, that you start to internalize the concepts. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, that's what I'm working on. It's, I, I think it's kind of interesting, to be honest. Fernando, I have a question to you. Yes. Why is it that you should only make a date formatter once. Oh my God. I don't know. <laughs> they're, they're valuable. <laughs> no. Uh, date formatters because are very expensive, Dimitri. That's all the documentation says, but we <laughs> never, we never know why is it expensive. I mean, I've been thinking about really this for so long. Why. Yeah. It's an interesting question, right? Uh, but I, that's the point. I, that's, that's the thing I want to share. You should always be worrying about the why. And I've seen mm -hmm. a lot of students not worry about the why. Like, yeah, that's what I'm trying to capture. Well, and it's, it's no, the difference the... between like a, uh, someone who knows how to construct sort of a basic object, right? From parts. And then like, someone else who knows how to do that and can also explain to you why the thing works when you put it together, right? Like that's the, that's the difference between like sort of a craftsman and like someone who can follow a recipe. And I'm, I, exactly. That's, that's a very tortured metaphor I just constructed, but like, but, but, but you a know, cook and a chef. Yeah. A cook and a chef. There you go. So like somebody, somebody who's a cook and this is probably going to make cooks mad everywhere, but like a cook, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to pretend that a cook is someone who, who basically runs from a recipe and can, and can construct a meal based on instructions provided to them 
Um, so they know how to cut and they know how to chop and saute and they, they do have skill, right? But but that they they may not understand why is this meal delicious and you know what what of those ingredients makes it extra tasty versus you could you could tweak it a little and suddenly it's like fine but it's not great. Um, and I think the same thing is true with with programming. Like you can get by building all kinds of stuff in a way that is fine or even maybe good. <laughs> But in order to get to greatness, you, you have to be, you have to know what about you know what about a great application? What makes it great, right? What specifically are you doing differently compared to sort of how you might do it in general? Um, and and I think that is something. It definitely seems like that's something that juniors in particular are like really hungry for, right? Whenever you talk to a junior about coding, they're like, well, yeah, I know how to like do for loops and I can make a basic iOS app, but like. How do I make Instagram, right? And I'm not even going to say that Instagram is a great app. I have no <laughs> idea what it looks like on the under the covers. It could be a hot mess, which it probably is. I mean, it's huge and run by hundreds of people, so it's probably just inherently kind of messy because that's just how it works. But, but uh, you know, how do how do I make an app that's great, right? Um, and and so I think it's it, oftentimes all we have to really tell them is just like it takes experience, right? Like that's the difference between someone who who can who can cook and someone who's yeah. a chef. But I really like that you're that you're trying to go beyond the sort of the senior like shrug and then like well it takes experience um, and you're trying to sort yeah, of yeah. elucidate what what does that mean like what give me give mm-hmm. me actual steps give me give me a technique give me things to practice. It's it's and, funny that yeah go go ahead Dimitri. And, and to be clear, it's not like you need to know the why no like you can get very far just knowing the how and as long as it's the correct how i should clarify (laughs) uh that if you do know the the correct techniques you can get very far with your techniques and you can gain a ton of experience building things out so you kind of learn to run before kind of learning how to do uh fancy tricks with your feet uh that like it's that kind of mentality where you learn the task at hand and you can go ahead and make use of it right away. That's tremendously useful for your productivity because you can go ahead uh, and have confidence that you can do something. Um, But it's only after that you kind of get all of that, that you start running into walls and knowing the why can really help you overcome those walls. And as a developer, invent brand new ways of going about solving solutions because up and like if you just know the different methods of like oh if you do this you get this result and you know hundreds of those you can put together all sorts of different things but you're never really inventing something brand new and that's kind of one of the joys of being a developer is you can literally write code that has never been written before uh, and to make something happen that hasn't been really explored uh, and you can invent something brand new. But the only way for you to really pull that off is to know the why. So that way you have yeah. the, the tools that are necessary to go ahead and invent something new. Yeah, I agree. And the thing I've noticed is that I, uh, I've seen that we as an industry really appreciate the how. Um, but it's, it's and, and when you like, it's just like Ben said, when you try to get to the why, usually it's just experience. But it's like there ought to be a repeatable yes. scientific way of gaining that elusive experience other than just, oh, you got to open up 10, 10 requests and get the answers out of me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's like that's I guess that's what I'm trying to do. If I had to to just summarize it quickly, it's like instead of opening 10, 10 like instead of taking a take home test with a real company and then the company giving you no feedback you do the same take-home tests and you get feedback right so i because that's how you learn that's how you learn that's experience right and mm-hmm. i don't think any of the amazing resources that i mentioned previously give that to you because it's impossible right they're like they're huge like paul hudson i don't know how he does it with we've, we've said it a few times and so by sandel they just like output a ton of content like it's unbelievable and I'm the convinced he's, that... he's figured out how to clone himself because that's the only way that yeah. <laughs> he could produce yeah, that he much He has content. a time turner. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the benefit is that since I'm doing this on my spare time, I can actually dedicate time to the why instead of the how. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, yeah, it's fun. I, I, 
I really like this topic and I, I really like discussing it with you guys because you, you guys know exactly how I feel <laughs> since you've taught yeah. other developers. Like, this is important. And that's what's really annoying. That's maybe the, maybe the most... Well, there's lots of things that are annoying about, about sort of the job interviewing process in, in the software world. But, but I think maybe one of the most annoying things about that is that you get no feedback really either way, right? So you take a home, yeah. take home test, you do an interview, and basically you either get the job or you don't. If you get the job, you could assume that you're like, well, I did all the right things. That's, that's why I got the job, right? That's probably not true, but, but you could just assume that. Uh, but you don't really have any way to know, well, what, which of the things was the thing that I did that got me the job? Um, and then if you don't get the job, you also don't really ever get any feedback. Like, what did I do wrong? What, what, what were the things that kind of made me sort of uh, what I got cut from rather than I, I got to move on to the next thing. And that includes how I performed on the take-home test, what I did in the interview, kind of either way, whether you get it or not, it's it's a very binary thing. And you just, yep. you know, you just sort of like, well, I got the job. So then if you go to get another job, you're like, I guess I'll just do the same things I did before. And hopefully this company will value them in the same way that the previous one did, which may be true, may not be true. And it's just like, it's so frustrating that, that we... Um, that is an industry. It seems like we are almost allergic to the idea of ever providing feedback of any kind, yep. <laughs> whether the person gets the job or not, to those candidates to help them grow. Um, and and you'd think that even if we're just from like a self interest point of view, the companies would be somewhat incentivized to do something like that. Because I can tell you from someone who has done a fair amount of hiring myself, be sort of being on the other side of things. It's exhausting to be part of the hiring process and, and to to sift through so many people who are not clearly not qualified for the position that we've put out, right? <laughs> um, and and I, for for one reason, I just don't have time to like tell the ninety seven people out of a hundred that they didn't get it, um, like why they didn't get it or what you know. It's just like I don't, I can't. It's just it's just a matter of time. Like I just don't have time to to do that. Um, and and I suppose I you know I should practice what i preach and and i should probably uh start at least telling the people who did get the job here's why like so that when inevitably you leave because you know i don't expect you to, to work here for the rest of your career that just seems that's silly um particularly for juniors right if you're hiring a junior like one to three years probably is what you could expect out of a junior before they move yep. on um you know i could do that but but certainly that that only that only helps the one person that gets it that doesn't help them <laughs> The hundred people that yeah. don't, and it's just it's so strange that 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 you'd think even from a self interest point of view that we'd be interested in in trying to make that better because I feel like it would help obviously the candidates, but it would also help the employers because you might end up with just a a little bit more self sorting and stuff like that, so that you end up with the candidates that do come in are just you know higher quality. I'm going to say that sort of more more of a fit, right? More of a fit for the job. Um, instead of instead of what you usually get, which is like a, a a huge broad array from like a few people who are super qualified to people that are just like, how did you even find this job description? Like it's not that they're not <laughs> smart, but just that like you are so far away from the kind of person that we need for this skill wise. I don't even know how you came across this job <laughs> this job posting. Um, so it's just yeah. it's it's just it's very strange. Yeah, I Some agree. Uh, yeah, yeah. Do you mean? I was gonna end it. Go for it. Oh, uh, yeah. I have one more comment. Like the 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 last thing I will say is that there's also very like there's zero standardization as to how we interview people. Right. There's so many different ways, and I think if I can push the needle a little bit towards mm -hmm. like take home tests mm -hmm. and judging someone by their code that they do on mm -hmm. their home mm -hmm. when they're uh, like without pressure, right? Uh, I think that's super valuable for everyone. Just yeah. like you said, Ben, like I've been on the other side hiring people and it's just, even if you start finding the right people, it's hard to invest so much time on mm -hmm. them uh, and then only choose one for right. the job. So at the very least, if I can reduce the amount that you spend because the quality of the applicants is so much higher, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm I'm happy with that. Yeah. So... Yeah, demystifying it would a be a very noble important. goal, I think. <laughs> Thank you. Definitely. So, on the topic of improving one's development skills, uh, this week's episode is once again brought to you by Bon Voyage, a new full stack iOS application development course from Johnny B. With this course, you'll learn how to build both a full iOS client app 
and an associated React web administration app. The app and the site will integrate with Firebase as well as Stripe and Plaid for payment processing. Bon Voyage is a place to book extravagant vacations and you'll gain the skills to build the iOS app from the ground up and integrate everything you need to provide a world-class vacation booking experience. To find out more and sign up for the course, visit Bon Voyage app slash course and be sure to follow Bon Voyage's instructor at Johnny B Codes on Twitter to stay up to date with all his courses. Thanks again to Bon Voyage e-commerce app course for sponsoring Code Completion and be sure to follow Johnny B Codes, that's J-O-N-N-Y-B-C-O-D-E-S on Twitter to stay up to date. So now that we have uh, gone through all our topics, it's time for Complete the Code, where we quiz our listeners on your knowledge of Swift, Apple, and all things development. Ben, it's been a while. Can you take us away? Sure. Last week, we had a prompt that involved an array. Let the first array be a constant array composed of one, zero, one, or two. Let the second array be a variable array assigned to the first array. The underlying storage will still be shared at this stage. Finally, um, we want to append three to the second array, which will copy the underlying storage and update it only for the second array. So that's the uh, the the prompt from last week. Um, and we do have a winner, Sean Barry, who guessed correctly. The method is is known uniquely referenced. Um, and we want to use uh, all copy on write types use this is known uniquely referenced method to implement the copy on mutate function. Um, so it's the it's a mutating function called update that takes a generic value t um, and then checks to see if uh, it is it is not uniquely referenced um, and then it copies it. So this week we've got a new prompt and the the prompt is what etymology led to the random number generator of choice on Apple platforms being named Arc for Random. So you may remember before we had the the newer Swift random functions we had one called Arc for Random. Um, and it allowed you to generate a random number. So the question is, uh, why did they call it that? And if you think you know the answer, um, go ahead and tweet at us with the complete the code hashtag. And if you get it right, we'll give you a shout out next, next week's episode. Thanks, Ben. Uh, and with all that out of the way, it's time for Compiler Error, a segment where I get to test my fellow completionist knowledge about Swift, Apple, and all things development. Uh, so we all uh, know and love Swift. Um, which owes its inspiration from Objective-C, of course, which owes its inspiration from a small talk. So that's our topic for this week. So we have uh, four statements for uh, this week, all small talk related. So let's give that a go. So unlike many languages, small talk has no if statement, let alone other control structures. Control flow is instead implementing as methods sent to objects. Statement number two. Like Objective-C, Smalltalk makes use of argument labels on each of a method's arguments, but does not wrap every method call in square brackets. Statement number three. Only six keywords are reserved in Smalltalk, true, false, nil, self, super, and this context, which are all called pseudo-variables in the language. And statement number four. Like many languages in the 80s, Smalltalk uses the dot character to access properties, the semicolon to delineate statements, and curly brackets to denote blocks. So, uh, Ben, why don't we go with you first? All right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Lucked out again, Fernando. Um, <laughs> so, let's see. Number one, uh, it has no if statement or any other control flow structures and instead uses methods sent to objects um, to, to manage control flow. I could buy that as being true. Uh, I've never seen small talk syntax before, so I, I'm, I'm totally flying blind here. But um, from what I know about how Objective-C sort of what, like the things that it inherited and stuff like that, um, I, I could see message passing being a uh, sort of like writ large, like that's going to be what we're going to do for everything rather than having control flow. So I can see I can buy that as being true, but I also kind of feel like that could just be weird enough to be false. So I'm gonna I'm gonna reserve that as a maybe. Um, the next one uh, that it uses argument labels on each of the method arguments, like Objective C does, um, but doesn't wrap it in square brackets. I want to say that that is actually one of the things that they pulled from Smalltalk to use in Objective C. But again, I I could have that that history wrong. 
Um, once again, all I can think of is hearing Andrew Madsen in my head going, how do you not know these things? Because <laughs> he's, <a> total, <laughs> he's a total language nerd um, and, and, and sort of a, a computer history nerd and I'm sure would, would ace this in a second. Um, but uh, third one, only six keywords, true, false, nil, self, super, and this context. Again, seems reasonable, uh, particularly we're talking about a, a language you know used back in the 80s. It's not going to be as necessarily as sophisticated as some of the ones now, so I could buy that. I mean, only one of these is false, so three of them have to be true. Um, like, and then the last one, using dot character for property, semicolon for statements, and curly brackets to note blocks. Seems very, uh, very straightforward, and that's, those are definitely things that were Objective-C staples. Um, so that seems, again, like something that, you know, could easily have been inherited from Smalltalk to Picture C. So I feel like that's probably true. So let's eliminate that one. Let's eliminate number three. I th- it sounds reasonable that they would only have those six keywords. Um, so we're down to, to one or two. It's basically no control flow statements and messages or methods instead, or uh, doesn't wrap its methods, method calls in square brackets. Uh. I don't know. It's it's a toss up. I feel like I feel like I'm gonna go with number one because I'm pretty sure that that Richardson got its idea for that from Smalltalk uh, about the brackets. But again, I could be totally wrong. So I'm going with number one. Good luck, Fernando. So number one is the compiler, <laughs> Fernando. What say you? Hopefully that you helped. Have... <laughs> <laughs> I I think it, it did a little bit. But Dimitri, you have the uncanny ability of making me like completely certain that I'm right, and then like you're Lucy and the football. That's that's who you are. <laughs> you're Lucy and the football, and I'm like, I sure I'm gonna kick that football this time. <laughs> Got some explaining to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I have no idea if one, two, or three are correct. I. I'm fairly certain number four is incorrect just because you said curly brackets to denote blocks and blocks were not a part of Objective-C originally. They were added uh, later down the road. Um, The dot character, that is also interesting because in Objective-C, the dot character, I also want to say was not part of the original I want to say that 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 came after. So I'm going to go with number four. Uh, like I said, one, two, and three all seem completely ridiculous to me. <laughs> so I, would, I wouldn't be able to choose. So I choose number four. And Final for, answer. for the record, I interpreted blocks to mean code blocks, not necessarily like a, a formalized block, right? Like we know it today. More of like a generic term of like any block of code, but... Oh no! Do final I final say, Fernando? But but but, uh, but you already said your final answer, so yes, I already did. I already <laughs> did. That's fair. That's fair. But I think you're right about the dot character, though. I I, I feel like that was like an Objective C two thing. But again, we're I... we're just we're stabbing in the dark here. We we don't really know what we're talking about. <laughs> just okay. end me, Dimitri. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's start with some fun facts about small talk, since it wasn't as sophisticated as Ben said. Uh, it basically pioneered object-oriented programming, um, and it also pioneered uh, just-in-time compilers mm. and virtual machines. Wow! So it was a very much ahead of its time. Nice. Uh, for uh, in terms of where most programming languages were, so let's go ahead and uh, start with the ones you both agree with. Uh, so let's start with number two. So like Objective-C, Smalltalk makes use of argument labels on each of a method's arg- on each of a method's arguments, but does not wrap a meth- every method call in square brackets. And, and that is true. There's no delineation mm-hmm. between one method call uh, and the next. In Smalltalk, it's just a plain white space for the most part. So you have the receiver, space, argument label, colon, argument, space, argument label, two, colon, argument, etc. I will, I will say that for number two, uh, now, like, now that I think about it and I'm a little bit less hyped up with the adrenaline... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, number two did sound like like it wouldn't be the compiler error because I have never seen anyone complain about small talk uh, <laughs> and square brackets, <laughs> and I've seen everyone complain about Objective C and square brackets. So yeah, yeah. yeah I, I can see this. I can see this. Fair <laughs> argument. 
<laughs> so let's go to number three next. So only six keywords are reserved in small talk, true, false, nil, self, super, and this context. Uh, and that's kind of what makes small talk small because this is, uh, after all, uh, a code completion like number two. Um, and small talk really doesn't have much to the language wow. itself. Most of it comes uh, from other uh, facets. And if this one is true, it kind of leads into number one, because if those are the only keywords, right. then what about if and for right. and all of our usual control flow? Uh, and it turns out all of that is implemented using methods on Boolean types or other types. So like uh, the typical example is true and false are objects and they respond to is equal. Uh, mm. And you can essentially put together a crazy if statement using just those as building blocks. Um, so that kind of was the statement that inspired this whole thing. So I'm sorry, Ben, that is also uh, a code completion there, um, which congratulations, Fernando. You I snuck out the compiler error. You kicked the football. Uh, I kicked so... the football. <laughs> <laughs> so like many languages in the 80s, Smalltalk uses the dot character to access properties, the semicolon to delineate statements, and the curly brackets to denote blocks. So do you want to take a guess as far as which part of that is fictitious? I think the dot character um, is the one that pushed me over the edge. Uh, did you mean blocks as in... Lambda or blocks as in just code blocks, like like Ben was thinking. Uh, either, because okay, the then, then definitely that. what a cop out. Yeah, then definitely <laughs> <that>. <laughs> so uh, the dot character, a uh, fun surprise, is used to delineate statements. So you Ooh. just kind of put a period at the end of your sentence, and that is that. Hmm. The semicolon is used to cascade method calls. So just like an Objective-C where we have like the inner brackets and then the outer brackets and then the mm -hmm. outer brackets and then the outer brackets, uh, that kind of chain. Uh, well, uh, with Smalltalk, you put a semicolon and then you can call the next method, put a semicolon, call the next method, and it would kind of uh, cascade onto that same receiver. So then the, the output of the previous one becomes the input to the next one. Exactly. And the, our friends, the square brackets, are actually used to denote blocks. So that's where they come in with Smalltalk, which is kind of where Objective-C gets, uh, gets its inspiration from. Because if you have a single method call inside of a block, it has square brackets. Ah. So aside from that, uh, Smalltalk looks very wonky uh, with, <laughs> with, uh, uh, with respect to like the languages that we're kind of used to nowadays. Uh, Objective-C, C, Swift included, JavaScript. All those languages all kind of look the same for the most part, uh, square brackets aside and Objective-C, but Smalltalk looks extra uh, wonky. Um, but you can kind of see how it looks a little bit like Objective-C in some cases. Um, but yeah, so great job, Fernando, on snuffing out uh, the compiler error this time. This Let's was not ahead. luck. It was pure skill. <laughs> <laughs> you say that now. <laughs> <laughs> So as always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at CodeCompletion to know when new episodes get released. And feel free to tweet us if there are any topics you'd like for us to dig into. Most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. Uh, it's really your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. If you know the answer for Complete the Code, uh, be sure to tweet at us as well. Uh, you don't have to wait for me to tweet it. Uh, mm -hmm. You can definitely uh, jump the gun and tweet at us early and skip the line uh, and get there first if you know the answer. So once again, I want to give my thanks to Ben, who is at Ferris Guy. That's F-E-R-R-O-U-S-G-U-Y on Twitter. Is that fast enough, yeah, Ben? Yeah, that's good. <laughs> uh, and Fernando, who is at From Junior to Senior. That's F-R-O-M-J-R-T-O-S-R uh, for Ooh. joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri, and you can find me at Dimitri Buñol. That's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L. Uh, and we'll be sure to see you all next week. Bye. Bye, Bye guys. Nice. Slowing down <laughs> your name so we could be faster. So I'm looking at the Wikipedia entry for Smalltalk. It is bonkers. <laughs> It is crazy. I was doing the same thing. What? I'm glad you agree with me. <laughs> it's so weird.
Like, what is even going on? Yeah, well, that's not code. That's just that's just gibberish that my three-year-old typed into the keyboard. Yeah. So this is a method with an argument. So that kind of looks like a little bit like Objective-C. This yeah. is declaring a new variable. Um, this is a Boolean operation that evaluates. And if false, it takes a block that it will go ahead and do something. So this is the receiver of the if false method. Uh, and here is some Objective-C, self-halt. Yeah. It's the closest I got yeah. <laughs> of any of this. So is this is this a white space dependent uh, language like, like Python? Or? No. no. So so this period is the end of a statement, and this period is also the end of a statement. <laughs> That's so weird. <laughs> so you could write all of that in a single line, like the first three lines? If you really wanted to. I guess you could. And you can put the Y directly after the previous period. You don't even have a even need to have a space. You can just I don't know. Mm. I, I don't think there are properties, <laughs> to be fair. So mm. good job sniffing that one out. Um But yeah, this this was completely bonkers. I first heard of small talk because of this example of like, oh hey, there's uh -huh. no such thing as an if statement, it's just a Boolean uh message call. Right. Um and another fun fact is the compiler is an object in the language and you could rewrite parts of it if you wanted to. And it will <laughs> recompile the new code that comes wow. afterwards differently. Man. It would recompile itself. Yeah, because it's a virtual machine. So you can go ahead and change the implementation out and then it would just go ahead and use that new implementation for the rest of the code that comes. Hmm. <laughs> so now that does smell like Objective C. So now I'm absolutely. So now I'm looking up what object what came in Objective C 2.0. It looks like um, modern garbage collection, property syntax, right? Syntax enhancements, runtime performance improvements, and 64-bit support. It was released in 2007. So properties, uh, the at property um, was a new thing. Array literals. Yeah, array literals. But what about 1.0? 1.0 basically looks like the Objective-C we know and love today, except there was no alloc in it. It was just new. Yeah. No. Um, and there's no reference counting. No, it's the, the other, other way around, right? New no, is, new, new comes new, later. New comes from Smalltalk. <laughs> oh, of course it does. <laughs> kidding. No, really? A, so it was definitely a new somewhere in here. So it was new, and then they decided to go with alloc in it as a, as a two-stage... Yeah, as the underlying implementation for new. Huh. No, I refuse to believe that. 